Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I must confess as I sit down to How would you like to look 5 years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking 5 years younger at 6 months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Share this tale that I'm committing a crime, a crime against secrecy, against the hidden truths that governments and organizations prefer to keep buried. But my love for the truth outweighs the fear of consequences. I cannot keep this story to myself any longer, for it is a tale that defies explanation and challenges the very fabric of reality. It all began in a remote corner of Ireland where an ancient secret was about to be unveiled. The story I'm about to unfold is true, as hard as it may be to believe. I was a part of a Navy SEAL team led by Matt, the seasoned leader who was about to embark on a mission that would forever change our understanding of the world. We were called in by local scientists who had stumbled upon a hidden cave system, rumored to be inhabited by strange, dangerous humanoid creatures. The atmosphere was thick with anticipation as we geared up for the mission. Matt briefed us on the potential dangers, but our training and confidence were unshakable. 
We join forces with the local Irish scientists, a group of experts in various fields, eager to uncover the mysteries hidden within the dark recesses of the caves. As we descended into the underground labyrinth, the air became dense and an eerie feeling settled over us. The cave walls seemed to whisper ancient secrets, and the shadows danced with an otherworldly rhythm. It didn't take long for us to discover the bones scattered throughout the caverns, human bones, signaling the presence of a sinister force. The creatures we encountered were unlike anything I had ever seen. We called them crawlers for their hunched humanoid form that moved with an unsettling, insect-like grace. Their elongated limbs terminated in laser-sharp claws, and their eyes glowed with an unnatural luminescence. The skin that covered their emaciated bodies was pale and translucent, revealing the intricate network of veins beneath. As we cautiously approached, we realized the crawlers had evolved in isolation, adapting to the harsh conditions of the cave system. Their mouths, filled with rows of sharp teeth, hinted at a taste for human flesh. Fear gripped us as we considered the possibility that these creatures were cannibals, thriving on the bones of those who had ventured into their domain. Attempting to gather more information, we inched closer, only to be met with a sudden ferocious attack. The crawlers moved with surprising speed and coordination, their claws slashing through the darkness. In the chaos that ensued, a stray bullet ignited a volatile gas pocket, setting the cavern ablaze. For ten harrowing minutes, the cave became a battleground between human and crawler. The creatures, seemingly unnerved by the fire, retreated into the depths, leaving us battered and injured. The flames illuminated the cave, revealing the grim reality of our surroundings. Human bones scattered like macabre decorations. After the flames subsided, the local scientists, undeterred by the danger, began to examine the carcasses left behind by the retreating crawlers. Each creature held a grotesque beauty, a testament to the harsh evolutionary path they had traversed. As we prepared to leave the caves, our team was intercepted by an unexpected presence, the Irish Secret Service. Dressed in dark suits and carrying an air of authority, they sternly warned us against disclosing any details of what we had witnessed. Their message was clear. This was a secret that needed to remain buried. To start out, my name is Doe, and my father and I are what you would call avid hunters, and we know what is in the woods where we hunt. Well, we took a trip to West Virginia to go black bear hunting. I was back at camp, resting from an early morning bear hunt, and my father went out to go hunting for the afternoon. I knew where he would be in case of an emergency. Well, he gets to his spot and stays there until the sun sets, and then he starts to head back to the side. By side, he took out to get to his spot. On his way back, he heard footsteps, and remember... This is in the mountains, where only hunters and rare locals know where they're at. The footsteps he heard were nothing human or bare. He stopped for a second and kept walking, and then the most blood-curdling yet powerful yell came from behind him. He thought, so this is how it ends. Well, it'll be a hell of a race if he gets to the side, by side. As soon as he got in, 
something came running up at him and threw a giant rock at him. My father came back to the camper. I was waiting for him, and that was the first time I ever saw my father scared. He didn't come out of the camper until it was time to leave, and we left with no further incident whenever we returned. We used to go night hiking when there was a full moon. In the summer, it's painfully hot during the day, so we would night hike instead. My boyfriend and I had just finished a big loop and were about a mile before the trailhead. He pointed into the trees on the hillside and said, Check out that owl. You could see two big yellow eyes up between the trees and the slope. Then its head moved. Definitely was not an owl. Definitely was a dogman that had been watching us. Let me start off with a few disclaimers. This isn't my story. It's a friend of my grandfather, and it's been a few years since I was told it, so the memory might be a bit hazy. It may not be scary to most people, but I thought I would share it anyway. Also, if there are any mistakes in the story, I apologize. At the time of writing this, I was getting over a concussion. This story happened in upstate New York. My grandfather's friend was hunting with one other person. For privacy reasons, I won't use any names of the people in this story. Anyway, they came across a road and decided to split up, going in opposite directions on the road. He perched himself on a rock and waited until about four in the afternoon, but nothing showed. At this time, he decided to meet up with his friend. Right when he got off the rock he was sitting on, he saw something walking in the woods across a clearing not far from him. The thing walked out of the trees, and it had its right side facing him. He didn't know if it was a bear or a person, and he didn't know whether to talk to it or not. He then decided to whistle at it. The thing walked away from him on two legs back into the forest, disappearing from his sight. It then walked back out of the forest, this time facing him. They stared at each other before the thing walked back into the woods again and out of sight. My grandfather's friend walked back down the road away from the thing he saw, where he saw his friend walking up to him. He asked him if he had been down where he saw the creature. His friend said he never went down that way. To this day, he insists that it wasn't a bear because... It would have stumbled on two legs, and he swears it wasn't a person because they would have alerted him of their presence. He insists that it was a Bigfoot. This is coming from a second-hand source, so you can judge on whether or not it's true. But I hope to find what he saw. I'm here to recount my father's chilling encounter with Bigfoot, which took place in the summer of 1973 on the outskirts of Davie, Florida. At that time, this region was characterized by vast expanses of undeveloped land, primarily orange groves and citrus fruit plantations. The local news was buzzing with reports of a creature known as the skunk ape, a name commonly associated with Bigfoot or Sasquatch in the Florida Everglades. These sightings have persisted to this day. My father, in his early 20s at the time, often shared this story with me while I was growing up, and I thought it was worth sharing with you in the context of Bigfoot encounters. On this particular evening, around 8 p.m., 
My father was visiting his cousin Gary, who lived in a groundskeeper's house nestled amidst the orange groves of the Everglades. The house was surrounded on three sides by these groves, extending for miles toward the wilderness of the Everglades. The property also had a long front yard with a driveway leading to the road. My father was in the company of three close friends, and they were all gathered together, deep in conversation, when something utterly unexpected occurred. Suddenly, an overpowering foul odor assaulted their nostrils. The stench was unlike anything they had ever encountered. My father, having previously encountered skunks, recognized that the pungency of this smell was similar, yet distinctly different. It carried a wild, animalistic note, which immediately sent their minds racing to the reports of the skunk ape that had recently been featured in the news. The smell was so disconcerting that it raised alarm among the group. They were, after all, in a remote location surrounded by the vast and dark wilderness of the Everglades. It was unsettling to think that they might be sharing this isolated space with an unknown and potentially dangerous creature. The group's curiosity and concern grew, and they decided to investigate the source of the odor. The layout of the property played a significant role in their decision. The house stood amid orange groves, and their endeavor led them to the backyard, where the smell seemed to be coming from. However, as they ventured further from the house, the inky darkness of the night made it impossible to discern anything beyond the reach of the yard's lights. Arming themselves with various firearms, including rifles and pistols, they embarked on a mission to confront whatever was responsible for the eerie odor. My cousin Gary even had a high-caliber elephant gun and a thirty caliber machine gun at his disposal. They were determined to confront the intruder. With hearts pounding and adrenaline surging, they scanned the perimeter, attempting to make sense of their surroundings in the limited light. Their shouts and taunts echoed in the night, challenging whatever lurked in the shadows to reveal itself. Despite their fervor, they received no response. Then an ominous noise shattered the silence. A massive branch snapped within ten feet of the outermost reach of the lights. The group stood on edge, acutely aware of the proximity of whatever was responsible for the noise. The tension in the air was palpable as they readied themselves to confront the unseen intruder. Yet whatever creature or entity had been lurking in the darkness had retreated into obscurity. The woods fell silent once more, and the grotesque odor began to dissipate, leaving the group outside for a few more moments, filled with a mix of unease and adrenaline. Eventually, they returned inside, resuming the night, though the experience had shaken them profoundly. The following morning, their curiosity led them to investigate the site. They hoped to find evidence of the mysterious intruder, or some clue as to what had occurred during the night. What they discovered only deepened the mystery. A massive, ten-inch diameter branch had been torn from a tree, matching the spot where they had heard the branch snap the previous night. Their exploration didn't end there. My brother Dominic ventured deeper into the Everglades, hoping to uncover any signs of the creature's presence. After some time, he stumbled upon a massive cave, a den that stretched approximately ten feet across. Inside, he found the remains of various animals in an unsettling, pungent odor. The den was meticulously constructed, 
leaving my brother in a state of profound unease. To provide some context, my brother was no stranger to wildlife and had encountered predators like mountain lions before. Yet this experience frightened him in a unique and unsettling way. The story takes an even more disturbing turn when my brother revealed that, not long after finding the den, a horse had been discovered nearby with its head violently torn from its body. The sheer force required to inflict such damage left everyone in shock. There are no bears in that area, and the Everglades' native predators could not have been responsible for such a gruesome act. The encounters my family experienced in the early 1970s remain etched in our memories, leaving us with questions that still linger. What could be strong enough to rip a horse's head from its body? What intelligent, elusive force lurked in the Florida wilderness, hidden in the shadows and emitting that ghastly odor? While Florida has since seen substantial development, particularly in the areas where these events occurred, the memories of those eerie nights continue to raise questions about the unknown entities that may still inhabit the wild places of our world, waiting to be discovered or to remain forever enigmatic. Forgive me, I'm an old fart but I think you would appreciate my story. Back when I served in Vietnam in the Navy, I was just 19, a young buck. Our vessel was attacked by something. It came out of the water and tore the heck out of the ship. We never saw it coming. It was so fast. It took us several days to repair all the damage caused by this thing. The sound was deafening, like nothing I'd ever heard before. We couldn't figure out at first what was making that kind of noise underwater when it was not a whale. Then the following days, we kept a lookout for what happened. To start the story off, I was currently stationed off the coast of Vietnam, aboard the USS Storm's DD-780, which was an L&M, summer-class destroyer during her 1967 deployment to Vietnam in support of Operation Sea Dragon. Our radar picked up on something on the surface. It looked like a small island just off the coast of northern Vietnam. We made our way over there and found a conical-shaped object sticking up out of the water, about 30 feet. We approached it cautiously at first, but slowed our approach after seeing no reaction from the small island or whatever it was. It wasn't really a small island, I, I just call it that. The closer we got to this thing, the more unusual it became. To start with, there were obviously no trees on this island, which was only about 30 feet in diameter. It was all one big, smooth, cone-shaped mound. Then we noticed that the island seemed to be made out of this texture, not like rock. But what really caught our attention was, when we got within several hundred yards, and saw how much it began to move. The closer we got, the more it moved. We were about to continue on our way when one of my lookouts said he could hear something below the water. We all stood there quietly, thinking nothing of it until my signalman called for me and said that whatever was making that noise seemed to be coming from the island. The closer we got to it, the louder it seemed, and then my other lookout said they could hear something as well, also over the sound of our own engines, which were very, very loud. So I took us in closer. We could maybe see what was making all that noise. 
It suddenly dawned on me that this island was not at all stationary. Then you have to remember at the distance we were at, it totally looked like an island. This thing had started to move. This was a living sea organism. As we were watching it slowly undulate, even as it spread open to the top like some kind of giant clam, we wanted to get away, but our engine seemed to be straining against something unseen. The more we tried to move away, the harder our engine seemed to work. We were stuck. We were looking around for what was anchoring us. We looked down and saw that the closer it got, the more visible it became. It was like watching an image appear in a developing tank of photographic paper. What looked like islands at first became long lines that were attached all the way around this thing. Then I could see what looked like flippers similar to an elephant's ears, or so they reminded me. I even saw a face that looked somewhat like a giant lizard with great big eyes. I called my gunner over, told him to open fire on this thing if it tried coming up out of the water at us. I tried turning our searchlight on the thing, but the light just seemed to disappear into it. Whatever this thing was, it did not want to be seen. We were dealing with a colossal bioform. I remember our ship beginning to shake as if we hit something underwater. We all thought it was coming after us until we heard a huge sucking sound and felt like we were beginning to slide sideways. The creature had let loose of our keel and seemed to be sliding back deeper into the ocean. Once the thing was completely submerged again, our engines came back online and started pulling away from this thing faster than I ever thought possible. I could see something moving around on top of it as we sped away. Whatever it was, it was now diving headfirst straight down. The more I looked, the bigger it seemed to get. Then it hit me. It was an eye, a huge round eye that looked like a big red bulb. Then it turned blue, the same way a bioluminescent fish changes colors. I remember turning to my lookouts, yelling for them to sound our horn, loud enough to hopefully scare whatever this thing was away. I remember the sound of our ship's horn bellowing into the blackness at top volume. And I remember seeing this huge red eye appear on that thing, staring right at us before it finally sunk back down below the depths of the dark ocean. There was this kind of flash of light, almost equivalent to a fireball going off underwater, like the creature had used some kind of secret weapon on us. It very much reminded me of the same way fish that have that bioluminescent gene in them will flash their colors kind of as a distraction, or the way the deep water squid will do the same thing. That's kind of what it was like, but just on a massive colossal scale. I could see a trail of bubbles going up to the surface, which exploded upon hitting the water, beginning to boil around us. This giant red eye came back into view, seemingly glaring at us from deep below. We were lucky we weren't all killed. I had my men sound the horn again, and we sped away from this thing as fast as we could. I know that some people will think what happened to us was just some kind of maybe, I don't know, a whale. But I'm here to tell you, this was not a whale. Questions I still ask myself every day of what this could have been. The only thing I can conclude is that this was Leviathan himself.
What I'm about to tell you is very true. I've never told anyone in my life until now. This happened to me back in 2003 at our family farm in Ohio. It was mid-October, and my dad and I were on our way to the farm to deer hunt, as we always did every weekend. We arrived there around 5, 45 in the morning. We sat in the truck, talking and joking about who was going to see more deer or shoot the bigger buck like always. At about 5 till 6, we got out and got our gear on and headed towards the woods. As we entered the woods on the left side of the cow pasture, I noticed an odd, eerie feeling, which was normal for me, I guess, as the woods always gave me that feeling, even since I was young. My dad walked me to my tree stand and made sure I got in and situated safely. He told me good luck as always, and I said I'll be back at noon. He then proceeded to his stand. A few minutes after he left, this overwhelmingly tingle came over my body as if someone or something was watching me. At this time, it was still dark. I began to look around the surrounding timber, trying to make out silhouettes, but couldn't. I was beginning to become very overwhelmed with that feeling of eyes upon me. A few minutes had passed since I scanned the timber last. I tried once more since my eyes had now adjusted to the dark better. I looked off to my left and then slowly towards my right again and nothing. I tried to call myself and mentally say it's nothing. You're fine. All of a sudden, I hear a crashing coming towards me from the left, and my heart sinks as I look. It was a few deer running for what appeared to be their life. They blew through the woods and didn't stop. I could hear them still crashing through the timber. At this time, I was only able to make out silhouettes and outlines of trees. I thought that it was odd, but maybe a coyote or something was after them, and I just shrugged it off. Maybe five minutes later, it was still dark, but dawn approaching. I then feel the hair on my neck stand up, and that eerie feeling comes back upon me. My heart starts to pound profusely. I hear the crunching of leaves and loud snaps of sticks from the direction the deer had run from, which was the neighbor's property on the left side of our woods. It is 100-plus acres of switchgrass and hundreds of acres of other woods. I look up and see what appears to be my dad walking towards me. Daylight is starting to break now, but it's still pretty dark inside the woods. I wait to what I thought was my dad, and it got about 20 yards plus from me. I quietly say, What are you doing, Dad? No response. It just continues to walk towards me. So I say a little louder, Dad, what are you doing? And still no response. I began to say, Hey! You know you're trespassing, buddy, but no response. As it got to the tree that my deer stand was in, I noticed that it was not my dad. I began to freak out. I look across the woods to where my dad's tree stand is, and I see his flashlight climbing up a tree. That's when I looked down and saw this thing standing directly underneath my tree stand, looking dead at me. Whatever it was, it was tall enough to reach up and grab my foot with ease. Mind you, I'm 14 feet up this tree. I began to start crying from fear, and my heart was beating so hard and fast I thought it was going to explode out of my chest. I let out a wimpy, muffled uh yell. It just grumbled at me and walked off, following the direction of the deer. I watched it disappear into the timber as the darkness was fading fast. 
Once it was gone, I was overwhelmed with this god-awful smell of body odor mixed with the smell of death, old hound dog and trash. As the morning went on, the woods were dead silent. Not a bird squirrel or deer, nothing. I've never heard the woods that quiet before, ever. Once I calmed down enough to climb down and out of my tree, I ran to my dad and told him I wanted to leave him now, but I didn't feel well, so we left. This happened to me when I was 15. I'm now 29, and I've never hunted our woods in the morning again. I will not be there after dark to this day, and I still have not told anyone until now. I do not smoke, drink, or do drugs. Never have. I promise this is a hundred percent true story and the scariest thing that's ever happened. Born and raised in Oklahoma and have been my whole life, I grew up fishing, tracking, everything you could possibly want to do in the outdoors. My entire family is that way, and I raised my boys the same way. However, I've never been one to believe in all of the silly fairy tales that people spew about Bigfoot and other silly animals that live in the woods and apparently exist. Until one day, me and my oldest son had a strange encounter when we went to go fishing at one of our local creeks we like to frequent. It was a beautiful sunny day in June of 99, and we thought we'd make a good day of it and go pack some food and have a good day fishing just father and son. Well, we've got everything loaded up and got the tackle box and our poles and headed out. The creek we were heading to is roughly about 20 minutes away from our house, since we kind of live a little bit out of town. When we got to the creek, all seemed well and lively. The water was rushing pretty quickly, even though it was June. The stream was still ice, cold, which is always great to stick your feet into just after getting there, and you've been walking around, and it's very hot. This particular spot, it's a pretty typical creek bed, but there is a lot of bushes and brush scattered throughout the area, and I'm talking tall bushes that are like six to seven feet tall. It's definitely not clear and open. So you have to kind of find a nice spot along the river banks to fish. We found a nice spot to sit down, and we began to unpack our food and get our tackle box and poles all set up. As I'm sitting there helping my son, I noticed my son's attention is not on what we're doing. Instead, he's looking over my shoulder with the most confused look on his face, seeming quite distracted. I thought that was pretty odd since my son's favorite pastime is fishing and I never lose his attention to anything other than fishing. So I turned my head to see what he's looking at and I think maybe it's a bear or something. But I was wrong. About 30 feet away, behind a five-foot bush, was this face peeking out, staring at both of us. It looked humanoid but also had a very North Owl-like quality to it with hair all around it and more of a cone-shaped kind of head. The cheeks were bare and the skin looked very leathery, but there was hair all over the face. The eyes were dark and I couldn't really make out any pupils. Its nose was like ours, not like a gorilla's. I wasn't really sure what it was at first. Once it realized both of us were staring at it, it immediately popped its head back down. My son starts freaking out wondering what on earth that was looking at us. 
I was starting to freak out a little bit, too, but I just wanted to chalk it up to somebody playing a cheap trick on us with some sort of stupid Hollywood mask. So I yelled out, Whoever you are, leave now. I have a gun on me. And this thing, faster than I could have ever imagined, bolted out from behind this bush into the wood line about another 70 to 80 feet. Now I want to remind you that this is total daylight, so we were able to see everything pretty clearly. This thing was about five to six feet tall and pretty hairy. I mean, I'm talking full black hair. If a black bear could be walking on two legs and running like a human could, you would pretty much be nailing it except for the cone, shaped head, and no neck. It didn't really look like it had much of a neck, and its arms swayed back and forth. It was also very barrel-bodied and built like a tank. It never looked back as it ran, and I've never seen anyone or anything run so fast. As soon as it hit the wood line, it disappeared. My son, for the rest of the day, kept wondering what on earth it was that we saw. I told him that we would talk about it later and to try and just enjoy our fishing trip. Well, we didn't really fish there for long before he was just too uncomfortable, so we left to go back home. On the drive home, my son was in a stupor, and he asked me, did we see a Bigfoot? I told him that Bigfoot isn't real, and it must have just been somebody trying to pull a prank on us. Looking back, I was really naive to think that. I've told this encounter to a couple of friends of mine who are Bigfoot enthusiasts, and they informed me that what I probably experienced was a juvenile Bigfoot, since it appeared a lot more curious and playful than it ever did territorial or aggressive in any way. I'm not really freaked out now, but whatever it was, it was very strange. I felt weird, for me and my son, seeing when it was. Now that my son is all grown up, he still goes fishing in that exact same spot, but we've never really talked about the experience since, and I've never brought it back up. For the past several years, I have tried to find any facts about what I saw and what I believe took place. I have contacted numerous Bigfoot researchers and investigators nationwide, but I have never received any information that satisfied my concern. I was camping and hiking through Colorado in the spring of 2018. One morning I woke up to smashing sounds that got closer to my camp. I thought it was a mad bear and got my hiking stick out. I knew I couldn't hurt a charging bear, but Maybe I could distract it somehow with a shred of hope and a poke from my stick. The sounds got right up on my camp but took a turn. It stopped and I peeked out of my tent. I then saw this big, dark, hairy shape through the trees. It looked like it was carrying something that was wearing red cloth. Then it turned and ran up this steep hill. I heard it crashing through trees and it sounded like a tank going 60 miles per hour up a steep slope. I wish that I had got a better look, but it all happened so fast. I got the feeling that I needed to get out of there right then. I saw something that maybe I shouldn't have. I packed up camp and hiked out of there. I'm not sure, but since then I have the feeling that the red cloth may have been a t-shirt. I think that the big thing was carrying an abducted child because people, especially kids, had been reported back then missing. Nobody knows what happened to them.
I've been desperate for answers. I did all I could to report what I saw, but law enforcement and state wildlife officials simply ignored me. I know what I saw, and I believe that a child was taken by the creature. This occurred at Guanella Pass, which is located inside the Pike National Forest, Colorado. I was driving Thursday night at 10 p.m., September 7, 2023, on my way to pick up food in the Glenview area. Prior to picking up my food, I had a super uneasy feeling. I felt very brain, foggy, and just out of it. I really wasn't focused. I want to think it's stress because of working a 9-5. So, as I was driving on W. Lake Avenue, I was listening to music and singing along to my favorite playlist. I wasn't really thinking much. I drove by the cemetery earlier on River Road, which I hate driving by. I started obviously feeling pretty spooked, like out of nowhere. I don't know why I was psyching myself out, but I continued to not pay mind to that feeling and kept singing along to my music. It was Lady Gaga, so I definitely was singing my heart out. So I kept driving. As I drove by the forest on W. Lake Avenue, I quickly saw a strange creature standing still on the right-hand side of the road. I wanted to believe it was a deer, but this thing I saw was six, seven feet tall, standing upright. Deer don't do that. It had a dark gray cement-like colored body, and its eyes gave out the same red as bicycle reflectors do. That's what made me look. When I quickly locked eyes with it, my stomach dropped, and I got so scared. The same feeling you get when riding a roller coaster. I freaked out for a bit, and I was thinking, keep driving. Don't look back. Don't look back. I quickly sped up to the upcoming light and intersection. I wanted to be around other cars in the intersection and more into businesses and buildings. I kept telling myself, nope, that was a deer. That was a deer. You didn't see S. I picked up my Bonchon chicken and drove on the highway back home instead. I forgot about it and went to work the next day. I kept thinking about it. So I told my co-worker what happened and what I saw. She's into paranormal and conspiracies and told me of the Mothman scene all over Chicago, especially around the O'Hare Airport area. So throughout my research, I saw the Google map sighting site and had to reach out. Again, I never thought I would be doing this. But hey, here I am. Whatever these things are, I hope they're nice. I live in Vermont, and the experiences I had are in a small border town called Vernon in the southeast corner, New Hampshire to the east, and Massachusetts to the south. I was taking my 13-year-old nephew hunting. It was his first or second time sitting in a blind alone. I believe the year was 2013. Anyway, his blind was roughly 200 yards from mine. It was early and very dark and somewhere around 5 a.m. The first light was roughly an hour away. We're walking on a snowmobile trail. My nephew's blind was on our left and up the side of the mountain, about 75 to 100 yards. He left the trail and headed up to his spot. I continued down the trail for a couple hundred yards. 
My blind was similarly located on the left and up the steep mountainside. As I turned and left the clear trail, I heard a very loud and long howl that was not like anything I'd ever heard. I froze in my tracks and listened in complete shock and awe. I felt no fear or even concern. The howl scream lasted for roughly ten seconds. It wound up in a crescendo to a high pitch and then a long, slow wind down and ended with an incredibly low, guttural, double grunt. The lung capacity and vocal ability blew my mind. Nevertheless, I continued to my blind. Once there, I moved a few sticks and twigs and settled in. The howl was on a loop in my mind and I was trying to rationalize what I had heard. The topography was like a giant bowl below me. Roughly 800 to 1,000 yards through the trees were some pasture fields and a gravel pit. Beyond those fields were fields, farms, and houses. Then the Connecticut River in New Hampshire behind and another mountain. Any loud noise like a truck exhaust, brake, or car horn could be easily heard, even coming from New Hampshire. I was rationalizing the sound as coming from a bull as a crow flies the closest pasture was maybe 800 yards straight down the snowmobile trail, and that was roughly where the sound seemed to come from. Roughly 10 minutes had passed and it happened again. It sounded to me like a perfect duplicate. It gave me goosebumps. We stayed most of the day. My nephew had called me on his walkie after the second yell. He was freaked out a bit. I told him not to worry about it, that I was between him and whatever it was. We decided to keep hunting, and though we never saw it, a deer or anything else, we stayed put until lunch. Fast forward about four years. My father, brother-in-law, and I purchased a 30-acre parcel of land half a mile as the crow flies from where I was hunting that day. That summer, I bought a portable sawmill and set it up on it on the new land. I've cut trees and milled the lumber day in and day out. My dog was always with me and loved roaming around or just hanging out. One day I'd been sawing up some hemlock boards and noticed the dog was not around. I shut the mill down and started calling to him. I found him hiding under my truck. That surprised me. He had never been afraid before, but from that day on he would never leave the cab of my truck unless I forced him, which I seldom did. Something had scared him. I do not know what. That same summer, I camped up there with a buddy, Scott. I was asleep in my tent and was awoken by deep breathing and some low grunting noises. My back was against the side of the tent as I lay there listening. Whatever was outside the tent began rubbing against my back. I was sleeping on a double-air mattress, so my back was a little over two feet from the ground. My buddy had a young pit bull named Jersey with him, and I thought that she was the culprit. Scott's tent was twenty feet from mine, and by chance he had gotten up to relieve himself. He unzipped the flap, so I said something to the effect of, Hey, Jersey is out here rubbing against my back. Scott replied that Jersey was in his tent and had not been out of it. At that point, I also got up and exited my tent. I never heard anything walk away. It was 4 a.m. and dark. I shot my flashlight around but saw nothing. I concluded that it must have been a black bear and went back to bed. Then there was a the sound of wood hitting wood. It was loud like a shotgun. Scott heard it and we discussed it for a couple minutes, but neither exited our tents. 
I was awake now, just laying in my tent, when right at first light, a rock was hurled from where the tree knock it occurred. I heard it clearly crashing through the trees and landing with a loud thud, followed by the sound of a rock rolling through the leaf litter. Judging by the sound of the crashing branches and the thud, I guess the rocky saucer ball sized. At this point, I rushed out of the tent and scanned the area, seeing nothing at all. I began yelling stupid or whatever was messing with us. I looked all around but was unable to locate the rock. Since that day, I had strange things happen for that entire summer. Every time I drove up the old dirt road, there would be a tree or multiple trees laying across the road. No stumps. The trees were not large, always completely dead and lying directly across the road. It was obvious someone or something was deliberately dragging them there. My father had rocks thrown at him for 20 minutes while hanging posted signs around the perimeter. They were small golf ball sized and landed all at his feet or a few feet away. He saw a few of them flying in, like being lobbed underhand. He finally yelled at it, thinking it was me playing a joke, and it stopped. My father's 80 years old. I would not throw rocks at him. I'm not saying this was a Sasquatch. I've not seen one, or do I want to see one? It would likely be a deal breaker for me. I go to my land with no fear. I want to keep it that way. If I saw one, I think that would change my perspective, and I would not enjoy the land anymore. My brother-in-law spends more time on the land than me. I've told him my experiences, and he brushes them off. He's never told me he had any weird experiences, and I rarely bring it up. I sold my sawmill two years ago, and nothing strange has happened since. Make of that what you will. I was on an assignment while in Afghanistan with my six-man team with a guide. We started to enter the Karingal Valley, a.k.a. nicknamed by the locals as the Valley of Death that is located in the Dora, Patch District of Kuna Province. The valleys are among the deadliest places on earth. History shows countless men, groups, and militaries have entered but never come out. Our guide refused to take us through, so we went ourselves. There are stories of giants, caves, demons, shapeshifters, etc. It still gives me goosebumps. I now fast forward back home to the United States. My group of six decided in our spare time to work the Appalachian Trail, starting in New Hampshire and ending in Georgia. All told, it took us seven months total to complete, with weeks in between of work, as we did not complete it all at once. We were near the Shenandoah Valley area. We made camps, set up three tents, made a fire, and cooked dinner after dinner at about 19 hour or 7 p.m. Three of my men, called signs Voodoo Panther and Deuce, sat in a circle and talked. Two others, Dingle and Reaper, did perimeter watch. The camp perimeter was not far away due to the steep terrain. I would guess both sides were about between 25 and 33 degree angles. None of us could see how far up it was. It was too thick with trees and undergrowth brush. It was dusk when we made camp. I went to rest in my tent as I had the next watch. I heard all three of my guys say what WTF just as I heard a loud thump on the ground and then another. 
Now all of us are expert marksmen and well-trained to instantly assess any situation, draw our weapons, sight, and threat, and decide to engage within a fraction of a second. We trained for this. As I exited my tent unarmed, I was the only one not carrying a weapon other than my seven-inch serrated double-blade knife, Kakbar. As I stood up outside my tent, all three men, plus now the other two men, were standing with weapons drawn. Instantly, they started firing at this ten-foot-tall creature that was about twelve feet away. It was head-to-toe, a very reddish-brown color hairy creature. It had an ape-like face and large red glowing eyes looking right at us. The growling was such a volume it reverberated in my ribcage. It was like nothing like I had ever felt before. There was a horrible mix of skunky and sulfur odor. It made our eyes water. It then began running with long strides that no human could do. It was like a blur as it passed through the edge of the camp. Then it let out a loud woman like shriek as it turned and went down that very steep ravine into the darkness of the night. All the while it snapped two trees off about eight feet off the ground while it descended into the ravine. After it was over, everyone rushed to the ravine edge, but it was gone. Now our guns don't miss, especially at that close range. No freaking way. Here's the really bizarre part. At daylight, since no one slept after that, we were all locked and loaded, waiting for another attack. We looked for blood tracks. There was no blood. Only two large barefoot prints. About fifty rounds were emptied into this creature at short range. Again, we all just said no way. That's not possible. Down the ravine, about twenty-five, thirty feet were the two snapped. Off trees, which we guessed, were between four or five inches in diameter. We broke camp and continued on the trail southward. We're about 12 kilometers and begin to believe that this thing was shadowing us from above. We couldn't see it, but we can certainly hear it. Maybe it was another one, who knows. We all discussed it at great length and surmised it was obviously some man-like creature. We never discussed it again. That night is etched in my mind along with that unique odor, nor will I ever forget the unique growl and shrill sound it made. On December 25, 2016, I went to bed between 9 p.m. 10 p.m. PST. I live in Laguna Hills, California, at approximately 3 a.m. PST in the morning, I was awoken by a commotion in my bedroom involving my wife and daughter. I didn't investigate the matter and tried to return to sleep. However, my young daughter and wife failed to return to the bedroom. I got up to find out what happened. I found my wife and daughter going to sleep in my daughter's bedroom. My wife briefly explained to me our small dog, who originally went to sleep with me, pooped on the far side of the bed. When my wife and daughter got into bed, my daughter got it on her leg. My wife cleaned my daughter and semi-cleaned the sheet. We have a very small dog under five pounds, so we're not talking a lot of waste. Anyway, I went back to my bedroom and changed the sheets because I could still see a little of the dog waste. 
I then told my wife she could return to bed with me, but she was too tired to get back up, so I let her be. Well, I am a light sleeper, so it was hard for me to fall back asleep. I want to mention I wear a sleeping mask to bed at night and take magnesium before going to bed because both help me fall asleep faster and have more sound sleep. I've had sleeping problems my whole life. I turned on the TV and watched it for about one hour before becoming sleepy again. When I fell asleep, I had a vivid dream that bothered me and I suddenly awoke. It was still dark outside and I was lying on my left side. I was thinking about the dream when all of a sudden I felt static electricity all around me. At that moment I knew they were coming. I started to roll over onto my back as the static electricity grew stronger, but I also began to feel paralysis in my body. It felt like I was moving in a giant jar of molasses. I was just able to begin to turn on my right side before I was unable to move any further. My right arm and hand were hanging off the bed. I then realized I could see through my night sleeping mask. There was no color. Everything looked blackish, gray, and very fuzzy. It was like I was seeing the static electricity. I then saw a small brownish-gray being, no more than five feet tall, materialized through my bedroom wall on my right side. It was then standing right through my nightstand and in front of the light fixture. I remember thinking how diminutive in size he was. He then grabbed my right hand, which was hanging off the bed, and squeezed it. I then heard a voice inside my head saying, Yes, we are real. While he was squeezing my hand, I felt a sudden sense of euphoria, excitement, and elation. I then communicated back to him using my thoughts, and I said, Hi, my name, is as soon as that the event was over. The being left through the bedroom wall, and I remained paralyzed for a little while longer. The static electricity in the room started to dissipate, too. I was in such a state of shock, I couldn't believe it. I sat up in bed, not knowing what to do. I laid back down, because then a deep comfort overtook me. I felt such a great sense of satisfaction, because I now knew in my heart and mind that I was going crazy and that others I knew weren't going crazy, too. I had been given peace of mind. I went back to sleep, having another vivid dream, which I still remember. I then awoke around 8.30 a.m. PST. My wife was still asleep, but she awoke a short time later, and I told her everything. I was expecting her to tell me it was a dream, but she said the exact opposite. She believes our dog sensed something was going to happen. And that's why it went potty in our bed. Our dog, whom we've had for seven years, has never done that. She also mentioned our dog was acting very strange the night before, and we thought she was getting sick or eating something bad. This ended up causing my wife and daughter to sleep in another room, which left me sleeping alone in the bedroom. The next night, I had a vivid dream of awakening, laying on my left side and completely naked, Everything was fuzzy, and my vision was somewhat blurry. My first thought was, oh my God, I can't believe this is happening in my house. But then I noticed I wasn't lying on my bed. I then noticed a small alien whose skin appeared brownish-gray like a grocery bag on my right side. I was lying on the very edge of a table. The alien had his left hand on my right shoulder and his right hand towards my feet.
His head was turned towards my feet, and he was slightly bending over me at the same time. At this time, I noticed a feeling of deep discomfort in my lower back and buttocks area, but I couldn't move or say anything. Right at this moment, the alien somehow knew I was aware, awake and turned his head towards me. We were looking eye to eye. Next thing I know, I'm awake in my bed, and it's early morning, and I can see blue sky out the window. I told a close friend who advised I should look for any strange marks on my body. I found two parallel marks on my left, so I took pictures of both my knees. The marks have faded since then. I don't believe I can no longer doubt everything that has happened to me, and that continues to happen to me. I'm just happy knowing I don't have to torment myself every day wondering if I'm insane or not. On Tuesday afternoon of this week, a few minutes after six o'clock, I noticed from my window a very peculiar, solitary, vapory object in the heavens. Its position was about where the constellation of the Dipper would be at that hour, this due north and 35 degrees above the horizon. In magnitude and contour, it in a marked degree resembled a human form, head, body, and nether limbs, the body and limbs, robed in shadowy drapery, the head, which was a brighter luminosity on the crown and forehead, had thick flowing hair, and the whole figure was extended horizontally, with the head eastward and the front downward. But there was another feature quite as marked, and that was an appearance as of wings projecting upward and backward from the shoulders, and these in due proportional extent to the body and limbs. This last name feature gave the entirety the appearance of an angel, Flying in mid-heaven, considered as a cloud, it was remarkable that it kept the same outline continuously, which is uncommon in those vapory objects. While I had it in view for a considerable time as it progressed swiftly toward the east, the luminosity of the shadowy angel was of a golden white, and it presented a very beautiful appearance against the blue background of the sky. In addition to the startling outline of the object, the interest in it was greatly increased by its being at the time the only one visible in the whole northern heavens, except some low-lying black clouds on the horizon. I called the attention of several persons to it, one of whom discovered himself the resemblance I did. Query, was this a presage of a coming event? It reminded me of the words recorded in Mark thirteen twenty-seven. Then shall he send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds. And those in Daniel nine twenty one, Gabriel, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation. One day last week, a marvelous apparition was seen near Coney Island, at the height of at least a thousand feet in the air. A strange object was in the act of flying toward the New Jersey coast. It was apparently a man with bat's wings and improved frog's legs. The face of the man could be distinctly seen, and it wore a cruel and determined expression. The movements made by the object closely resembled those of a frog in the act of swimming with his hind legs and flying with his front legs. 
Of course, no respectable frog has ever been known to conduct himself in precisely that way, but were a frog to wear bat's wings and to attempt to swim and fly at the same time, he would correctly imitate the conduct of the Coney Island Monster. When we add that this monster waved his wings in answer to the whistle of a locomotive and was of a deep black color, the alarming nature of the apparition can be imagined. The object was seen by many reputable persons, and they all agree that it was a man engaged in flying toward New Jersey. About a month ago, an object of precisely the same nature was seen in the air over St. Louis by a number of citizens who happened to be sober and are believed to be trustworthy. A little later, it was seen by various Kentucky persons as it flew across the state. In no instance has it been known to alight, and no one has seen it at a lower elevation than a thousand feet above the surface of the earth. It is without a doubt the most extraordinary and wonderful object that has ever been seen, and there should be no time lost in ascertaining its precise nature, habits, and probable mission. That this aerial apparition is a man fitted with practicable wings, there is no reason to doubt. Someone has solved the problem of aerial navigation by inventing wings with which a man can sustain himself in the air and direct his flight to any desired point. Who is this adventurous flyer and what is his object are questions of immediate and enormous importance. Of course, the first impulse of the unreflecting mind will be to exclaim that the mysterious flyer is an aeronaut who has invented practicable wings and is secretly experimenting with them before making his invention public. This is directly at variance with the known habits and customs of aeronauts. Had any aeronaut invented a pair of wings he would have advertised long before his invention was perfected, that he was in possession of a machine wherewith to make an aerial voyage to Europe in 24 hours, and that he was prepared to exhibit it for a few weeks to everyone who would pay 50 cents to see it. A little later, he would have taken up a subscription to pay the expenses of his proposed voyage in the interests of science, and would probably have published a book on the science of aeronautics. Then he would have suddenly disappeared, taking his wings with him or accidentally burning them, and after the first outburst of indignation on the part of a swindled public, would have been totally forgotten. This has been the invariable practice of these ingenious aeronauts who have claimed to be the inventors of balloons or other apparatus capable of navigating the air. That the mysterious flying man has not followed this custom makes it perfectly clear that he is not a professional aeronaut. Beyond any question, either the flying man or some scientific person at present, unknown has invented the bat's wings and frog's legs with which the flying man now sails through the air. Why has not the inventor patented his invention and had himself duly written up by the press? The reason is obvious. The flying man is engaged in some undertaking which he cannot safely proclaim. In other words, he is an aerial criminal, a fact which explains the cruelty and determination visible on his countenance. And what can be the nefarious object which this probable wretch has in view? It cannot be simply theft and robbery, for it would manifestly be impossible for him, in his flying costume, to perpetrate burglary or highway robbery, or to pick pockets. 
It cannot be plumbing, for obvious reasons. Neither can it be the sale of books published by subscription only. Yet the flying villain must have an object, and we have a right to assume that only a peculiarly nefarious object could induce a man to fly to New Jersey or St. Louis in hot weather and without an umbrella or a mosquito net. It is not escaped notice that of late Mr. Talmage has been wandering in the West in search of entertaining varieties of crime wherewith to embellish his sermons. It is also known that he returned to this city just before the flying man of Coney Island was seen. Now, if there is a man in this country whose arms and legs are fitted to endure the muscular strain inseparable from the act of flying, that man is Mr. Talmage. He has preached for years with those graceful limbs and must have developed and hardened their muscles to an extent which would fill every other professional acrobat with envy. What is more probable than that, Mr.? Talmage has equipped himself with wings in order to study interesting types of immorality from the lofty height of a thousand feet. He has flown over St. Louis and Kentucky, precisely the places which might be expected to yield a rich reward to an investigator of crime. And he is now flying to and fro over Coney Island, preparatory to preaching a scathing sermon on the wickedness and indecencies of our bathing resorts. Here we have a natural and probable explanation of the flying man, and it is earnestly to be hoped that no one, with mistaken zeal for field sports, will attempt to shoot the preacher on the wing with a shotgun. There is not a shot, gun in existence, which will do any good at a distance of a thousand feet.